All right, we are in uh, Matthew. Matthew, God, it's it's the M thing, isn't it? We are in Luke 23, uh, verses 13 through 26. I think we might get a little further than that, but we'll see. And uh, what we're going to look at is uh, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate. And uh, so, Matthew uh, 23, starting in verse 13... Gosh. <laughs> it could be. Could be. Luke 23, 13 through 26. Um, notice how she's being so quiet and good over here. All right. Uh, nothing. Luke 23, starting in verse 13. And, and, and Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of, and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. Father, we come to you now, Lord, as we look into Luke's gospel. And uh, Father, we just simply, uh, as we take time to look at this passage. I pray, Father in heaven, that you would uh, help us to see what you would want us to see. Find us something that's applicable and profitable and practical to us as we consider this man Pilate. And uh, Lord, we just simply look to you and trust in you and uh, ask for your blessing now in Christ's name. Amen. You know, James 1.8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And boy, I tell you what, with Pontius Pilate, uh, that's what we have here. We've got a double-minded man. And so now we're coming to this part where um, Jesus is before uh, Pontius Pilate. But actually, if you look at this passage in Luke, it's not so much Pilate's questioning Jesus as it is Pilate's uh, facing Jesus' accusers. That's what Luke uh, chose to to focus on. You know, uh, he doesn't provide the details that we might read in, in the other Gospels. Um, the Holy Spirit inspired Luke in a specific way uh, to uh, record this event. And he chose to record the interchange between uh, Pilate and the Jews. He doesn't mention anything about like what John does about uh, Pilate's wife warning him, uh, uh, you know, don't have anything to do with this, this just man. So he doesn't cover all those details. But what Luke does provide for his Gentile audience or for anyone who reads this story, he makes it very, very clear that, um, well, this is a grave injustice being done uh, to this man named Jesus. All right. So that's his main main deal. He's wanting to show that uh, the religious leadership in Rome uh, and indeed um, this was an injustice. Jesus was falsely accused. Uh, Jesus was falsely condemned. And anyone who would read this account could quickly recognize that this was definitely a travesty of, of justice. Uh, I'll say this, um, a little sidebar note. 
Uh, years ago, I once read an article, and I don't remember where I found it. I don't know if it was in a magazine or where it was. But I read an article uh, by a liberal theologian who I will call an apostate. And this liberal theologian's article was that um, Jesus deserved everything he got. Yeah, so his article was uh, Jesus was was guilty that he deserved to be crucified. And of course, uh, I didn't read a whole uh, too much more of the article. It just it disgusted me. So I deep six the article. But there are people out there who who think that way. And in fact, this guy who wrote the article was actually a minister of a, a pretty good sized church back east. So you know, so his point was that Jesus deserved everything that he, that he got, but we know that that's not true. We know that's not true. And so what uh, Luke does provide for us in his concise manner is he gives us kind of a, a snapshot or a picture of uh, Pontius Pilate as he wrestles between his conscience and his self-interest. His conscience and his self-interest. And if you remember, we talked about Pilate the last time we got together. He's a cynical man, very cynical man. Uh, so he's struggling here. He's struggling here be doing, uh, between doing what is, what is right, what is just, or what best serves him. What best serves him. Uh, so Pilate indeed was a man who, who was of two minds in this matter. He, see, he could have released Jesus. He could have released Jesus. Uh, he knew that Jesus was an innocent man. He knew Jesus was being falsely charged. He knew why these religious men had delivered Jesus into, into his, uh, into his authority like this. He knew all of this. And, um, he could have released Jesus. He could have let him go. Um, but he became embroiled in this conflict in his own conscience. If he were to, if he, if he were to release Jesus, then he would be pr- bringing trouble down on his own head with these religious Jewish leadership. And so... Here he was struggling. Do I get myself out of this scrap, this this situation, by letting them take Jesus? Or do I stand on solid ground of being just and being right and going ahead and, and releasing Jesus and going ahead and taking the consequences, knowing that I'm right, knowing that I'm standing on just ground? Um, when I read this, it reminded me of what uh, Proverbs 24, uh, 10 through 12 says, uh, because this is kind of where Pilate was, was at the time. Um, here he was on the verge of um, perpetrating an injustice, and he's wrestling. He's wrestling with his conscience about this. In Proverbs 24, 10 through 12, it says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. And that's, ex- that's exactly what happened with Pilate. 
If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth he not know it? And shall he not render and shall not he render to every man according to his works? That's where that's where Pilate was. That's exactly where Pilate was. Dr. Martin Luther King said, There comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he must take it because conscience tells him it is right. And that's where Pilate is. And and I've been there a couple of times myself. You know, I think all of us can can say that they've they've found themselves in a situation where there's a struggle, you know, do I do the right thing and take the consequences or do the easy thing and and get out from underneath this situation. So we pick up the scenario with Jesus being sent back to Pilate after Herod had had his audience with Jesus. And we read here in verse 13 that when Peter uh, when Pilate calls all these folks together, he calls not only Jesus' accusers, but notice who else he calls. He says here in verse 13, And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and who? The people. The people. See, before it was just the chief rulers that he was dealing with. So along with the main instigators, the chief priests and rulers, Pilate now involves the man on the street. He now involves the people. I don't know. I I don't know. Was Pilate's objective in bringing in the common man? Was he hoping that this tactic would persuade the high priest to be more sympathetic toward Jesus? I mean, we already know that the high priests were kind of nervous about the people anyway because they believed that Jesus was a prophet. So they were kind of nervous. I I don't know. I mean, um, I don't know if that was his intention. Um, but it seems like he brings them in to make to make an appeal to the people on in regards to in regards to Jesus. But something happened with the people, didn't they? They had a they had a change of heart. They had a change of heart going on here. Now, you know, I don't understand all the dynamics in that, but we know just by watching the news how quickly. Uh, popular opinion can turn almost on a dime it seems like popular opinion can can turn and so Pilate makes this appeal to those he had gathered and so in Luke 23 14 and I got it right this time uh, said unto them ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people and behold I, I having examined him before you have no have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him no nor yet Herod for I sent you to him and lo nothing worthy of death is done unto him I will therefore chastise him and release him verse 17 for of necessity he must release one of one unto them at the feast so we see very clearly here in in in, in the mind of Pontius Pilate uh, Jesus is not worthy of death um, we've already, you know, in the other Gospels, he's already examined Jesus. Herod had done his bit with Jesus. He saw no just cause in, in 
putting Jesus to death. Pilate, he didn't see anything. In fact, as far as Herod was concerned, Jesus was nothing more than an object of his contempt and, and, and just to be, and to be mocked. While Pilate, on the other hand, he, <laughs> Jesus was a thorn in his side. You know, he was causing trouble for Pilate because of these uh, religious leaders. So, with this, fi- with this finding, hey, I don't see anything worthy in this man worthy of death. You know what Pilate should have done? Being the uh, Roman authority, he should have thrown the case, uh, case out of court, right? That's what he should have done. He should have exercised his authority because he was totally within his authority to do so as Roman governor of the, of the province and he should have just, this man's innocent as far as I'm concerned. He's released. He's released. Um, he would have been wise, Pilate would have been wise to do as, uh, how do you pronounce the guy's name, Gallio? Gallio or something like that back there in Acts uh, 18 when huh yeah that might be it um, G-A-L-L-I-O anyway he was the deputy of Achaia and that's what he did when the Jews brought these guys before him and tried to accuse him it says here in Acts 18 he drave them from the judgment seat because he saw this was ridiculous I'm not going to put up with this Pilate should have done the same thing. Pilate should have done the same thing. He should have, he should have told the Jews, get away from me. This is foolish. This is foolish. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Instead, Pilate was playing this very dangerous game. He attempted to reason with them. He attempted to find compromise. He was, what's that phrase? He was walking the fence in this matter. He was walking a very shaky, shaky fence in this matter, trying to find a way out of this predicament that would best uh, suit his needs. Uh, In fact, he even had Jesus chastised, didn't he? According to John 19, he, he had Jesus scourged, and then he had this crown of thorns on his head, and he had him dressed in a rag, and he brings him out before the people and the leadership, and he, what does he say? He says, behold the man. You know, what was he, what was he doing there? He was trying to show these, this, this guy's no threat. Look at him. He, he's, he's a joke. He's no threat. Release him. We ought to just release him. He's not a, he's not a threat. So instead of coming from the strength of being in the right and, and making a just call in releasing Jesus, knowing that these men had no just grounds to condemn Jesus, instead, Pilate showed weakness before these men. And these men capitalized on that weakness. They always do. They always do. They always capitalize on the weakness. Pilate gave these wicked men an inch, and they took a wicked mile. They took a wicked mile. And so these men, they, they latched on to Pilate's desire to release Jesus. Remember? That's what it says here in Luke. He's, he was going to release one because of the Passover. So they capitalize on this. 
And so what do they say here in verse 18? And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. So they latched on to this and said, Okay, Pilate, if you're willing to release somebody, don't release Jesus. Release this fellow by the name of Barabbas. You know, let's give us Barabbas. But we want Jesus dead. We want Jesus dead. I remember a preacher a long time ago uh, saying that if God has a sense of humor, it's a sense of irony. It's an ironic humor. Uh, I bet you guys know what the, what the name Barabbas means, don't you? Bar means son. Abbas means father. So Barabbas' name means son of a father. Son of a father. What irony we have here. Uh, notice what Luke says. Why is this man in prison? For sedition. Causing rebellion in the city. What was it that they accused Jesus of? Perverting the people. Trying to cause rebellion or sedition among the people. And then they have a man whose name means son of a father. And yet, who's Jesus? Son of the father. Son of the father, right? That's what it says here in John 5.17. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh, worketh here the two, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So there's the irony. They want a man whose name means son of a father, who is guilty of sedition, and yet they want to put Jesus to death, who is the son of the father, who is innocent of sedition. You know, the thing about irony is that it's lost on those who are in the midst of it. And chances are these men had no idea of the irony that they were they had placed themselves into. So Pilate's playing this dangerous and unwinnable game by appealing to their sympathies or trying to compromise with them with them and they aren't going to have they aren't going to have <laughs> they ain't going to have any part of it they just yeah i ain't going to do it they're just not going to have any part of it at all now pilate had at least on four occasions uh, tried to try to release jesus um in john 19 uh, 6 through 7, when the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto him, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault on it. So he tried to push it off on the Jews at one time. You guys take care of it. I want nothing to do with this. He tried to put it in Herod's court. And of course Herod lobbed it right back over the net, put it in Pilate's court. He tried the prisoner release program. (laughs) That didn't work out very well. And so he had Jesus scourged and he tried to play on their pity. 
but these guys reacted like sharks smelling blood in the water. Was it working? No matter what Pilate was trying to do, he was in a no-win situation. He had backed himself into a corner by his vacillating in the matter of justice. He just should have stood on, on, on the solid ground that he had, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Look here in Luke 23, verse 20. I'm going to be done here pretty quick. I apologize for thinking out loud, out, out loud like that. I just... <laughs> is it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a fool uttereth all his mind. Is that what you're saying? No, yeah, okay. Not what I was saying. Okay. But you said. <laughs> so in Luke 23:20, 20, Pilate therefore willing, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them, but they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. They are not going to budge. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. He knew he was dealing with an innocent man. He says, I will therefore chastise him and let him go, which he did. And they were instant with loud voices. Remember last week when I talked about that? Folks who don't have a have a, any ground to stand on instead of coming up with good logical arg- arguments what do they do they just try to shout you down that's what they were doing here <clears throat> and they were instant with loud voices requiring requiring that he might be crucified and the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed and Pilate gave sentence he gave in that it should be as they required, and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. The Jews knew the weakness of Pontius Pilate, and they capitalized on it. They had precedence with this man. They knew exactly the type of man that they were dealing with. When uh, Pilate began his term as the governor of the province of Palestine, uh, he wanted to come in and to show a a show of force, a show of authority and strength uh, of, of the Roman Empire. So what he did was, is he had his soldiers march into Jerusalem with their Roman standards, the eagles and everything. You know, we see it. You know, you, you can see the old uh, newsreels of uh, World War II or stuff, and they're marching in, carrying their flags and make a big show uh, as they take o- as the Nazis took over Paris, you know. So they're making a big show. That's what Pilate's doing here. He's, he's putting on this show of authority. And so he has his soldiers march in with these Roman standards held high. Uh, to the Jews, this was a great insult. Because to them, this was idolatry. They were bringing idolatry into uh, Jerusalem, the place where the temple was. Uh, the very center of religious, uh, you know, religion. And remember... Just a few hundred years ago, they had just under uh, went under um, 
the terror of Antiochus Epiphanes, who did the same thing. And because of Antiochus Epiphanes, that's where the Pharisees came from. These men who were standing firm, you know, to preserve um, Judaism, preserve uh, the sanctity of the temple. So this was still very fresh in their minds. Guys, if you know anything about the Middle East, man, they hang on to that stuff, don't they? I mean, they hang on to feuds that last for generations. And so these Jews still had fresh in their minds. You know, with Antiochus Epiphanes, now here comes this Roman doing the very same thing. So they're up in arms, man. They, this is to them a, a blatant idolatry, uh, bringing these, these standards into Jerusalem. And so the Jews, they took to the streets. They took to the streets and they began to protest against this, what they considered an act of blasphemy. And so when Pontius Pilate saw this going on, what he did, being the diplomat that he was, <laughs> he threatened to slaughter him. He says, you either clear the streets or I'm going to clear it with a sword. Well, this just enraged the Jews that much more. And so they got even more uh, fanatical about their protests, demanding Pilate to remove the Roman standards, or they were going to, ha- or he's going to have a bloody riot on his hands. Now Pilate is brand new in the job, right? Brand new in the job. Now how would that look to his boss Caesar in Rome if the first day on the job he slaughters a thousand? Or more of his, you know, charges. Wouldn't look good, would it? Wouldn't look good. And so Pilate, he finally gave in to their demands, you know, fearing the repercussions that would come when Caesar found out if he would have handled this in a bad way. So he, he removed the Roman standards and so avoided, avoided this riot. So his patriotism gave in to self-interest and self-preservation. The Jew says, ah, okay, okay. This guy isn't as formidable as he tried to display himself to be. We know now this guy. And they're doing the very same thing again. They're doing the very same thing again. You know, according to to Roman law back then, if a province made a formal complaint against a a governor that Rome had put over them and that complaint was found just, that particular Roman governor didn't fare too well. Didn't fare too well. So Pilate was already skating on thin ice. Already skating on thin ice. And don't you know (laughs) that the religious leadership were wily enough to take advantage of this. And that's exactly what they were doing. They had an ace up their sleeve. These guys were not stupid. They were not stupid. I mean, look at this passage in verse 23 again. And they were instant with loud voices. Right? 
just like when he first showed up. Requiring that he be crucified. Just like when he first showed up. We're making demands. We're making demands. Right? And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. Just like before. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. So just like in the past, he buckled. Didn't he? He buckled. In this case, he was on sure ground, but he still buckled. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison whom they had desired. And he delivered Jesus to their will. They knew exactly who they were dealing with. Pilate was willing to release Jesus on the basis of impartial Roman justice, but instead he surrendered Jesus into their will for the sake of self-interest. To save his own skin. Save his own skin. Proverbs 14.14 says... The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And a good man shall be satisfied from himself. And I want to speak a little bit to that. You don't become a backslider overnight. You don't become a backslider overnight. You become a backslider over time. Compromise here. There. A little bit more here. A backslider might want to blame their circumstances, but backsliding begins on the inside of the heart. When you, I shouldn't say you, when a person systematically silences their conscience, justifies their actions, quenches, the Spirit's work in their life, eventually it becomes easier and easier as you sacrifice principle for the sake of self-interest. Charles Spurgeon said, Backsliders begin with dusty Bibles and end with filthy rags. So it's not something that just happens overnight. It's something that happens over time. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we all have that area, right, that we give into. I do. And I don't think I'm any different than you guys. We're we're all there. Praise God, we've got a God who's kind and willing to forgive You know, praise God for that. Pilate sought to compromise with an unrelenting foe, but because he had compromised so often, he really didn't have the um, intestinal fortitude to stand when he needed to stand, and he had good ground to stand on. He had good ground to stand on. Luke tells us that the voices of them and the chief priests prevailed. They prevailed. John 19.12 gives us a little bit of insight into this. 
And John 19.12, And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. There's the chink in the armor, isn't it? There's the chink in the armor. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. There's the chink in the armor. Right there. That's what did it. That's the leverage that they used. The enemy is the master of playing upon our fears. He knows the leverage. He knows what will goad us into compromising for the sake of self-preservation or self-interest. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. He plays on our fears. He plays on our fears. The fear of man bringeth a snare, Proverbs 29.25, But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Pilate was standing on good ground. But he stepped off it. He attempted to compromise with what he recognized as an evil injustice and he fell into the snare of his fears and was trapped. That's what the devil does. He plays on your fears because he knows he can trap you. He can trap you. In the short term, it served Pilate's interests Better to give in to the will of Jesus' accusers, but in the long term, (laughs) not good. Not good. Uh, Eusebius, who lived in the 4th century, wrote a church history. Uh, He reported that Pontius Pilate committed suicide uh, during the reign of Emperor Caligula. This is what he wrote. He said, It is worthy of note that Pilate himself, who was governor in the time of our Savior, is reported to have fallen to such misfortunes under Caius or Caligula, whose times we are recording that he was forced to become his own murderer and executioner, and thus divine vengeance, as it seems, was not long in overtaking him. Yeah, that's exactly what happened with Pilate exactly what happened with Pilate remember what Pilate remember Pilate's cynical statement to Jesus what is truth right what is truth well that's his that that revealed his cynical attitude and instead of serving this man it only led this man to compromise the truth when the truth was standing right there before him Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, Proverbs 117. So Pilate was a double-minded man. He was unstable. And the instability of Pilate's man, uh, Pilate's mind, did not provide Pilate with that courage to stand on the good ground that he had to stand on. He sacrificed justice in order to keep his place. That's what he did. He didn't want to get in trouble. He wanted to. He wanted to remain in good standing with his earthly master, while he sent the master to be crucified. Let that sink in for a minute. 
none of us can compromise with evil and honestly believe we're going to escape unscathed. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You can't sin against conscience for the sake of convenience and believe that God does not see it and will not hold you accountable. Because he will. He will. I get to go on. I got time. So that's Pilate. Now if you look at your text here, in verse 26... And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Remember when I started 23, I said that um, as you read through the Gospels and you read about all these individuals who come into contact with Jesus, how it changes their life, some for the good and some for the bad. I mean, what a funny little thing here to insert here about Simon, right? What a funny little thing. But here's a person who comes into, you can't get any closer, I guess, coming into direct contact with Jesus in carrying Jesus' cross. Okay? A guy by the name of Simon. Here we read about Pilate who, for convenience sake, violated his conscience. And now we read of a man who is conscripted into service and he's going to become converted. He's going to become converted. What a story this is. And now, as far as Simon is concerned, Matthew and Mark, they both make mention of this incident. Matthew 27, 31 says, And after that they had mocked him, Jesus. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled. That's one of those voluntary, you better do it. Yeah, there you go. And compelled to bear his cross, Mark 15:20. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, very same thing, put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by. He was just walking by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, that's important, to bear his cross. So, understand, what did Jesus just go through? I mean, a whole night, no, no rest, no sleep, last supper, in the garden, praying, sweat drops of blood, arrested, hustled back and forth, beaten. At no time do you read that Jesus, the prisoner, was ever allowed to sit down, was never given any water, no food. All he received was intense interrogation, Beatings, rough handling, being hustled back and forth between Pilate, Herod, and the Jews. That would wear anybody out. Wear anybody out. So, he's physically spent. He's a man, as well as God. But he's physically spent. And so, they press into service this fellow by the name of Simon who was there for the Passover just like thousands and thousands of other Jews (laughs) he's walking by they grab him and they put the cross on his shoulders 
And so he follows Jesus as they lead him out of, out of uh, Jerusalem to be crucified. Now it says here that Simon was of Cyrene or Cyrenian. And Cyrene is uh, where modern day Tripoli is in Libya. Libya, I think. Modern day Tripoli is this city that this man Simon is from in northern Africa. Um, this city was a Greek colony all the way back in 631 BC. Later on, the Romans took it over in 75 BC. So, you know, it was a very important seaport at the time. It's interesting that on the day of Pentecost, after Pentecost, uh, when Peter preached after the Holy Spirit came and he spoke with the true biblical gift of tongues and not what the Pentecostalists are trying to pass off. Among those who heard Peter preach were those who were from Cyrene. Acts 2.10 Phrygian, Pamphylia, in Egypt and in parts of Libya about Cyrene. Also, later on in Acts 11.19-21 we see those folks from Cyrene being instrumental in preaching the gospel. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phineas and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word. I'm thinking that this Simon hung around until Pentecost and heard Peter preach what he himself was intimately involved with and thought, ah, this is what it was all about. And I'm thinking, this is my speculation, I'm thinking at that time, Simon said, he's my savior. I believe what Peter's telling me. He's my savior. And could it very also be possible that this man may have been a part of the church in Antioch? You know, definitely became a believer, became a disciple of Jesus Christ, definitely was instrumental in his wife and one of his boys, Rufus, getting saved. Paul wrote in Romans 16.13, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. That's the same Rufus that uh, Mark mentions. So my point is very simple about this man pressed into service and carrying the cross of Jesus. Hebrews 13:12 through 14 says, "Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate." Then Paul says, "Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach." For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Remember when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, one of the things that he said to his disciples about being a disciple, what did he tell them? Carry the cross. Right? Carry the cross. You know, at some time, Christ and his cross is going to come across our path. It's just going to come across our path. And we must make a choice. Do we pick it up? 
or do we let it lay? Are we going to be his disciples and help bear the burden? Or are we just going to let it go by? Let it go by. You know, when we put somebody through the baptismal tank, what is it, one of the things that we say? Raise unto newness of life. You know, one of these days, what happens in that baptismal tank has got to become a reality in our life. Because if it doesn't, not saying you're not saved, not saying you're not going to heaven, but you're not being a very good disciple. Sounds kind of heavy, doesn't it? Well, steward and disciple, two different things. Do we compromise like Pilate for the sake of self-interest, or do we identify with the Lord and bear the cross? I don't know. You know, with Simon, in John 19, 16 through 18, it tells us that Jesus did bear the cross to to Golgotha. So I'm thinking, and I don't know if this is the way it happened, but I'm thinking that they're just now getting ready to take Jesus to Calvary, leading him through the streets. And here he is walking, and there's Simon behind him with the cross, But when they get to the place of execution at the foot of the hill, I think the transfer from Simon to Jesus was made, and then Jesus carried it up the hill. Or it could be that um, at some point, Jesus and Simon joined together, and both together bore that cross at some time up to the place of execution it could be the latter to me the latter makes a really great picture it really makes a great picture Matthew eleven twenty eight. come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light The yoke is the cross. Jesus has done all the heavy lifting. He's done all the heavy lifting. So I'm picturing Jesus and Simon yoked arm in arm, side by side, carrying this cross. You know... uh, Lance yesterday at men's breakfast gave a real good talk on liberty. You want to be liberated from a double mind? Get yoked to the cross with Jesus. You want to find rest? Get yoked to the cross with Jesus. You want that picture to be a reality in your life? Then get yoked to the cross with Jesus. Become a disciple. Become a disciple. We've got a good God. He will forgive us when we fail. He will forgive us when we compromise. He will forgive us when we backslide. The point is, 
wherever it is you drop the cross, (laughs) pick it back up and move on. Understand, I'm speaking in an illustrative sense. I mean, even Abraham went back to Bethel. Right? That's what God wants. If you've stopped, he's willing to go on. He's just waiting for you to lock arms and go. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. What a tragedy is with Pontius Pilate. What a, what a lesson he teaches us. But yet followed by Simon. A man who uh, was compelled to carry the cross. But yet became instrumental for the sake of Christ. Father in heaven, many, all of us, we can't, we can't claim perfection. We fail you all the time. But we're so, so grateful, Lord that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Pray, Lord God, that we would live our lives yoked with you to bring you glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen.